Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. As we get ready to launch into a new series, we're excited to be able to uh, look at the book of Ephesians, but we're going to take the, the vantage point of looking at our identity. If you're looking for some seats, I believe we have some up here and some in the middle here. Identity is a creative process. It's one in which you are constantly discovering who you are. In understanding yourself and knowing who you are, you have to look at those around you. Certainly, we can look inside of us. There's a, there's a part of us that wants to look inside of us to understand who we are. But what's deeper is not just looking inside of us, but is looking around us. It's looking at whose we are, who created us. It is looking at our past. It is looking at our heritage, our family history, our roots. And tonight, we are going to delve into looking at your past, looking at where you came from, your history. You see, that's a picture of me holding a picture of my family. That's the title of this series, Searching for Me. And you've said that phrase or heard that phrase before. I am looking for myself. I'm trying to find myself. Or sometimes you give it for excuse. They're just trying to find themselves. Amen. <laughs> right? And really what that means is I need to know who I am. You can look at your past in two ways. You can look at it the Instagram way or the Bible's way. Now, this is a real picture I have on Instagram. This picture that I'm holding is actually a picture I have here. Now, that picture, who you don't see, is Alex Roberson. Alex Roberson was born in 1849. As we celebrate Black History Month, one of the things you have to realize is that Black History Month isn't just the Benjamin Bannockers and the Martin Luther Kings and the Sojourner Trues, although we should need to celebrate them. The... Black History Month is in our families. It's the teachers and the doctors and the lawyers. And we have to remember that our history did not start in America. It started in Africa. And who was stolen from that land wasn't just slaves. They were doctors and lawyers and architects. We have a lineage. And so Alex Roberson was born in Drury, Alabama in 1949. He was a slave. He then would become a sharecropper. And then... He had Justice Roberson. Now, Justice Roberson is here at the bottom right-hand corner. That is my great-grandfather. Justice Roberson was born in the 1890s, the son of a slave. He was around during sharecropping. He would grow up in Alabama and eventually move to Moss Point, Mississippi, work for the paper mill. Eventually, he would start the NAACP in Moss Point, Mississippi. And he would go on to start the NAACP in Jackson County. He was also a teacher. 
He would go on in our family history. We would learn about how there were crosses burnt on his lawn, how he would have sit-ins. He was a part of all that in Mississippi. And then to the bottom left-hand corner is my grandfather, James T. Roberson Sr. James T. Roberson Sr., he was the owner of the Elks Club. That's where everybody partied. That's where I get my spirit from. (laughs) He was known for telling people like it is. And he was the first black manager at the International Paper Mill. And so when he was leading his white counterparts, he would tell them when they could clock out, but he'd still have to go to the black water fountain. The grandfather would be giving people orders, but still have to call them sir. And then, upper right-hand corner is James T. Roberson, Jr. James T. Roberson, Jr., born in 1943, there in Moss Point, Mississippi. He would go on to go to the Air Force. Eventually, after getting out of the Air Force, he went to Millsaps College. Millsaps College was considered like the Ivy League of the South. He went there and majored in mathematics. At the time, they didn't have a computer science degree, so he majored in mathematics. He would eventually go on at Millsaps Millsaps College to get his master's degree. Now, he was not the first black man to get a master's degree at the college. There was someone before him. But he was the first black man to walk across the stage because everyone was afraid to accept the degree in front of their white counterparts. He would move in 1968 to New York City. He would have three children. And eventually, in 1976, he had that brashing young man to the upper left. <laughs> 1976, I was born here in New York, and I became James T. Roberson III. Now, you see, oftentimes people will say your name is James Roberson, and I will tell them, add the third, and that's why, because I have a lineage that matters to me. And if you were to say, man, what came from your lineage? I would say being a pioneer. I'm from a, from a, Lineage of pioneers. You see, that's what you put on Instagram, right? See, this is where I come from. But Instagram, it doesn't tell our stories like the Bible does. If you've ever heard about God, you'll hear him called the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You ever heard that before? The patriarchs, these are the big deals of the Old Testament. These are the guys that you really look at. You only have to open up the Bible to Genesis chapter 12 to 50 to see their families. Yes, Abraham, man, father of many and blesses the people. Isaac, Jacob. But all you have to do is keep reading to see their families are a hot mess. Abraham's family is filled with lying. Abraham lies about his wife before he goes to Pharaoh. Isaac, his son, lies about his wife before he goes before this guy Abimelech. And then he has a son named Jacob, and Jacob's name means deceiver. And Jacob would eventually 
lie to his own father about getting a blessing. And when he did that lie and he tricked his own brother Esau, there entrenched in their family started a division and tension and shame that lasted for years, that covered their family. And so when you come to look at Jacob's line, you see Jacob's family. There, of course, you see Jacob, but you've got to remember that he wanted Rachel, but he ended up with Leah, and then he ends up being with Zilpah, and and Rachel doesn't really work out, but eventually does, and then there's Bilhah, and then there's all these kids that they have, and then if you look under Rachel, there's this one child named Joseph. And Joseph says, man, I have this dream where people are going to be bowing down to me. There's going to be incredible things happening. And his brothers, all those guys, out of jealousy, end up selling him into slavery. And I mean, this was a bad deal because they not only they threw him in a pit and he ends up going to be enslaved, and the reality is, is that the father doesn't know what's going on, so they end up lying. And I mean, these people have a funeral and the guys are lying all throughout the entire thing. Lying was something that happened habitually in their family. And Joseph, even though Joseph wanted to be different, that is the conditions by which he came up in. The blessings and the sins of our family often impact us even to the third and the fourth generation. You see, I come from a family of pioneers, yes, but I also come from a family of individualistic, very proud people. When my dad, when my father and I had tension years ago, I cut him off. And you know what he did? He cut me off. Because that's how Roberson men do. We cut you off real quick. Not even think anything about it. That's part of our DNA. Yes, we're pioneers. We're also radically individualistic. That's part of who... I am. That's part of the challenges I have. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says this. The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished. This is very important. Bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Now, this is very important to note. This does not necessarily say he's going to punish the third and fourth generation. That word bringing essentially means like a habit, a problem, and trauma coming up to your doorstep, visiting you, coming to you, knocking on your door, and, and, and wanting to let itself in, saying it's going to show up in your generation, even if it skips a generation. The sins of the father tend to be repeated in the next generation. Certain families, if, if you were to be with a family therapist, they might do what's called a genogram, and they'll look at all your family history. 
And there are certain families that have divorces and abortions and incest and addictions and mental illness all throughout the family. It's not just looking at the people that are champions. It's looking at the cousins. It's looking at the immediate family. It's looking at the relationships, the broken relationships, and looking at the full circumference of who you are in the context of your family and the family that you came, that the family that that family came from. Our families live inside of us. You have been impacted by what's happening or what happened in the 1900s and the 1800s. It's important that we ask questions, that we begin to delve into our past. And the reason why it's hard to ask questions is because all of our family keeps secrets, amen? Lots of secrets, boy. Whatever happened to Uncle Joe? We don't talk about Uncle Joe. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about it. He's somewhere, amen, amen? Don't talk about it. But, but, just, but just because it's a secret doesn't mean it's not affecting you. Just because your family doesn't talk about it doesn't mean you don't need to confront the reality of the trauma that's happened in your family. It's important that you discover more about the relationships that surrounded your home because you are a byproduct of that family. One author said, Jesus may be in your heart, but your grandfather is in your bones. Okay? And the reason why, the reason why we don't do this is because we know it is hard to investigate the past. It is easier to go on Ancestry.com than to talk to your mom, right? And say, hey, tell me more. And most likely, she wants to cut out all the drama and just show the highlights. You have an earthly family and you have a past and there are sinful patterns that you have in you and you have around you. You know, when Natasha and I got married, you know, we were like, we read the Bible. You know what I'm saying? We read the Bible. We different. We're not going to be like them, okay? My parents were giving us advice. We were like, the Bible, okay? Okay. We read the word, you know, so we got together. And, you know, we're like, we're different. We're different. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. And so when we get married, we get married. We, get, we got married, all right? That first year, that first year, I was like, oh, oh, snap. Oh, wow, wow. I am my father's child. And then I went into another season of parenting, and I was like, oh. Oh, wow, you seen those commercials where they say you're becoming your dad? I'm telling you. You go into another season and you begin to replicate or see some of the things that you saw in your house growing up. You see, when James T. Roberson Jr. got with Maddie Amelia Broadnax, they produced James T. Roberson III. And then when Ronald Stephen Silva got with Lanell Cotton, they produced Natasha Silver. And then we got together and we brought all of them in the, into the family. As much as we say, we're not going to be like them. They're all the way in Boston. No, they're in you, baby. No, 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 they're all the way in Mississippi. No, they're in you. You can run from your past, but your past is in you. It's in you. But it doesn't have to define you, Amen. 
The father's iniquity is brought to our doorstep. Remember, remember there in the Exodus passage, remember that the, 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 the sins of the father, the third and the fourth generation, it will be brought to you. It will visit you. But we learn from Joseph. What did Joseph do after he was sold into slavery, after his family abandoned him? after he was innocently telling them, I have a dream to do something great. And the minute that they heard his plans, they made a plan, a plan to hurt him, a plan to abandon him. They constantly threw shade at him. The Bible says that Joseph ended up rising into power in Egypt. And it says in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he ends up seeing his brothers after he's had the power and after he's come all the way around and good things are happening in his life now. And instead of coming with vitriol and anger and shame at them, he told them this, Genesis chapter 50 and 20, you planned, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about a present result, the survival of many people. And what he was saying is, you all had a plan and you all came from shame and pain, but I am going to be a chain breaker in my family. Where you brought lying into the family, I'm going to bring blessing. Where you brought all that trauma into the family, I am now going to bring blessing, not just for my family, but for the entire community. I am a chain breaker. It stops with me. And you are here at the sound of my voice because you are the Joseph of your family. And if you, are, if you have other people in your family living out the life of Christ, then you, you are going to extend the spirit of Joseph in your family. You are the chain breaker. You are breaking that chain. And yes, the sins of the father visit you. Pride visits me. Anger visits me. Cutting people off visits me. It knocks on my door. And although your habits and your trauma will come to visit you, this is what we can be sure of. We have an answer. You look at my family history, there's all types of relationships. Adultery wants to knock on my door. James there. I open up the door. Who that? <laughs> well, it's, it's adultery. Yeah, I've hung out with a lot of your family. I'm real good friends with them. I'd like to know, can I come in? Oh, I'm sorry. You got the wrong, you got the right person. But I'm in a different place. See, I'm in Christ now and you can't come in. Hey, my name's Unforgiveness. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm real cool with your cousins and your aunts and your uncles. I wonder if I can come in. You know me, you're accustomed to me, you feel me. Oh, you got the right person, but you got the wrong address. I'm in Christ now, and so I'm sorry, you can't come in. Hey, it's anger, okay? 
you know me. I'm with you when you're dealing with situations. You know how your mama do it? Me and your mom, see, I've known, I known you since you was little. Um, me and your mama, we real tight, okay? And I'm wondering, no, 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 you ain't even got to get the place together. I'm, I'm going to be mad with you about that. No, no, no. No. No, no, don't even worry about that. I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering. You, you know me already. Can, 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 I, can I come in? I just want to visit with you for a little while. Oh, you got the right person, but you got the wrong address. I'm, 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 I'm in Christ now. You see, and, and so that is not only, it is important to see our identity, see how it changes who we are. It's, it's so important to understand our behavior. It's, it's knowing who we are. But it, again, uh, it is also not un just understanding our past in terms of the habits inside of us, but I just want to be sensitive. It is important for you to realize the environments you were raised in. Some of you, like Joseph, Joseph was around habitual lying. Some of you were around physical violence. It's affecting you. Some of you were around substance abuses, mental illnesses, emotional codependency. It's affecting you. It is important for you to be able to look into that and acknowledge it. Not accept it as an identity, but acknowledge it. The trauma, the weight of it. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is trying to get people to understand their identity. The first three chapters, that's all he's trying to do is get the church to understand their identity. So he would say in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Now, I don't, I don't have time to unpack everything there, but what is important for you to realize is for him to say, your father is rich in blessings and he has endowed you now with those blessings and he wants you to know he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before we did right or wrong, God chose us. Now we're gonna come back to that verse in a, in a, in a second. But in verse five, it says he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Before the world began, God chose and destined your life to be adopted as sons, as children of God. Before Alex Roberson, Justice Roberson, James Roberson, James Roberson, now me, before I was a pastor, God chose me for his glory, to use me. That means you are now adopted into the new family of Jesus, under Jesus' house rules. 
And although your biological blood may inspire you or it may depress you, the blood of Jesus now defines you. The blood in your veins does not define you. The blood on the cross does. Christ defines you. His blood now defines you. I want to, so we are going to be hanging out in this for the next few months, just anchoring into identity, knowing who we are. Now, where we're going to end up landing as I, um, in just the focus of uh, the little bit of time I have left is understanding adoption. When it says he has adopted us as sons, I don't want you to run too, past, too, run too fast from that. When you go to Citigroup, this is what you're going to be talking about, being adopted as sons. As you all sit and discuss, you're going to be talking about being adopted as sons. So pay attention to the heartbeat of this. The, the word adoption it comes from the Greek word, uh, it's heuthasia. Hu means son, and thasia means to take something. It literally means to take a son. Now, you in some way could say, well, aren't we all children of God? Well, yes, in the sense that God is the creator of heaven and earth. We are his children because he's the creator. But being a child of someone that, that is loved intimately by them versus the, being the creation of something is far different. George Washington Carver was the creator. Many, many would say he was the father of many different things, an inventor. He invented many things with the peanut. He, you could say he was the father of peanut inventions. But even though he was the father and creator of it, he wasn't taking peanuts and, you know, putting them to bed at night and reading them bedtime stories, right? Fathering something in regards to creating something versus fathering and being intimate is two totally different things. And so in the same way, adoption into God's family, into the family of Christ, speaks to intimacy and to relationship. Now, in Roman culture, adoption was legal and it was a very specific procedure. And this is why you in the Roman world, now remember, Paul is speaking into a Roman world. He's speaking into a culture. He's not speaking in our culture. That's why we have people preach to, to translate it into our culture. In the Roman world, adoption was never of kids. It was always of adults. Now, in our world, we adopt kids. We're just like, we want to get you as young and as unmessed up as possible and just take you in. Unmessed up is a word. <laughs> but in Roman culture, you would adopt adults and you would only adopt adult males. Now, here's why. The setting was a man who is the head of an estate would have no heir. So what he did was he didn't want his estate, he didn't want all his wealth to be taken apart. So he would see a man, generally a young man, and he would go to them and say, I want to make you my son. Doesn't matter what your family background has been. Doesn't matter all the mistakes that you've made. I want you to be my son. 
I want to adopt you. And being that the, those that would adopt were generally rich, you became their heir of all their riches. Immediately, several things would happen. The first, all of the new sons, our old obligations were canceled. Any debts that son had, the father would go and pay all their debts. Two, the son would become as wealthy as the father because he's an heir to all his wealth. Now, you have to understand the depth of that. If a rich man came in here and said, James, I really love what you're doing with this church. I do. I want to give you some money. Well, because he's rich, I'm like, this is about to be nice. And he gives me $500. I'll be like, thank you so much. Appreciate that. And what, now let's say he was a billionaire. If he gave me $500, I would be so happy because he gave me a portion of his wealth. But when you are a child of that billionaire, you don't get a portion of their wealth. You get in proportion of their wealth meaning you don't just get a few hundred dollars, you now are in rightful place to get all the money, right? And you, have, you authoritatively receive that when they're not there anymore. We don't get a portion of the Father's blessing. We get in proportion to the Father's blessings. We get all that God has for us. I, I could preach on all these. I'm looking at the timer. Amen, so I got to keep moving. The father, the father becomes liable for everything the son go, does going forward. So this is important. Anything the child had done in the past, the father would now pay for and take care of. But anything he does in the future, the father will pay for and take care of. Past, present, future, paid. But lastly, in light of this great adoption, the son honors the name of the father. Now, their last name has been changed. Now, when they walk into a store, when they are in a business, they know they represent not only themselves, but a new name. And they honor it because of all that that father has Given them. You see, so adoption at that time was not just being forgiven. It was a change of status. And tonight, my prayer is that when you look at God the Father, you would not just accept that you have been forgiven by him, but you will accept that you have been adopted by him. And those are different when you know that you've been adopted, you have a confidence in God, much different than just being forgiven. If you had committed an egregious offense, a crime, placed in jail for years, and the governor came to you and said, I heard that this 
young man, young lady was to be executed. Well, tonight, I'm going to pardon them. No longer an execution. You would appreciate that. But it would be another thing if the governor said, now, I want to give you a job in my administration. Come on up. Work with me in the governor's mansion. It'd be far greater if the governor said, not only do I want you to work in my administration, but I want you to now be in my family. Here, take my last name. And it'd be greater if he said, now, I want you to be an heir to all my wealth, and I want you to come live in my house. The story goes of a young lady who had been adopted who was on the streets, and she had been adopted by a wealthy man. And the first week, they gave, you know, he had chefs in there, and they're giving her food, and she's just eating. And then one night, you know, she grew up on the streets. She went downstairs, and she took some peanut butter out the, out the cabinet and some bread, and she put it up in her room, and she would just, not even with a knife, she would take the bread, and she would take the peanut butter and eat it. And then one day, the father walked in, and he sees the peanut butter and the, the bread under her bed, and he's like, baby, what are you doing? And she's like, well, I got hungry at night and I was afraid to ask because I'm, I'm just used to, you know, when I want something, I just take it and I, I don't know, I just, and he says, if you would have just asked me, you don't have to get this bread and this peanut butter, I'd have made you a meal, baby. Oh, you still think you're in the street. You're living like a guest in my house. You're not a guest, you're my daughter. You don't have to ask to open up that fridge. You don't have to steal anything. That's your fridge now. Amen. Receive all that's in there. And see, in Romans, it talks about how we no longer are slaves. We don't have to operate like slaves, but we have a spirit of adoption. We cry out, Abba, Father. That's when you know you are operating in sonship. When you cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba is the Aramaic word Father. And then it has the Greek word Father. It says Father, Father. And they say it in that way so that whether you were Aramaic or whether you were Greek, you would understand the intimacy of God. In other words, the writer wanted you to know that God was not just your angelic being up in the sky, transcendent and miraculous and sovereign. They wanted you to know he was intimate and close, so much so that Abba was the intimate word many would use for daddy. You don't really accept your adoption, so you start operating in intimacy and crying out in authority, daddy, I need you right now. When you receive that, you see, sonship meant power, authority, and inheritance. And it was a specific term meant for power. This is the next person in power. I'm taking them in. Now, let me just say a word about the language here. <laughs> you would be right if you're a woman in this room. You'd be right if you see the phrase sonship. You say, you know what? I'm going to start calling it daughtership. You know what I'm saying? 
because God loved me too, okay? We're just talking about some sons. And I get it. I get it. And what we have to accept that in the Roman world, women were oppressed and, they, and still today, they still with, deal with oppression. But they weren't allowed to be heirs. The men had the inheritance, and they would only pass it on to men. So when Paul takes that word that has legal meaning and turns it around and puts it on all Christians, he's being radical in that. He's saying that we are all sons whether you are male or female, you are now a son because he's not speaking to the gender reality, he's speaking to the positional reality of being a son. And so when you receive sonship, you are not changing your gender identity, you are receiving your power and authority in Christ. Now, some would say, well, I'm still not comfortable with being called sons. Well, we all need to be called comfortable being, being called the bride of Christ, amen? Right, because the bride of Christ, seriously, <laughs> <laughs> no, the, listen, the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ, watch this, the bride of Christ, when we're called the bride of Christ in, at the end of Ephesians, it means that we need to have a, uh, a, a submissive posture to Jesus. We need to step back in and allow Jesus to lead, amen? We need to step back and allow Jesus to lead in that sense that we, and, that, and, that, and we don't mean lead like some kind of chauvinistic pig. Leadership in Christ is sacrificial leadership, not just some guy who thinks he knows everything type leadership, amen? Amen, all right. I felt that energy, all right. So, so, so it's, it's, that kind of, it's that kind of step back posture he means when we're the bride of Christ. When he says sonship, he means you step up into who you're being called to be. Authority, inheritance, and power. So don't say daughtership. Say sonship. Say, yes, I am an heir to all the authority that God has for me. That's what God intends in that. Every one of us needs to receive that. Now, in Ephesians 1, it says, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Paul put this before he talked about adoption because adoption at that time was only generally to someone who was older and probably someone who had done good things someone you could trust to be your heir. But in the verse before, he says, but I want you to know God chose you before. 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 My daughter, I'll never forget when my daughter Leah was born. It was funny because my wife was having a C-section and when that happens, you're kind of here with her and they have like this gurney up and you can only, you know, you see them working and you're looking and you're looking, you don't know what really is going on. Then the baby comes out and when the baby came out, when Leah came out, we looked at her and normally you say things like, she's beautiful or she looks great or oh, she's amazing. And so my wife is there like, what's going on? And, I'm, and I look and I promise you, I did not know a child could look so much like their father. I looked and I was like, 
She looked like me, baby. Oh, snap. Couldn't believe it. But you know, I'll never forget the day when I had Leah's sonogram. Faith had already been born, my oldest, and I believe we have a picture of a sonogram. And that's not it. I Googled that. I'm sorry. I couldn't find it. Someone, 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 someone is going to see Getty images. I didn't have time. Why pretend as if you've never seen a sonogram? Let's not lose the moment. <laughs> the illustration hasn't lost its power. But in a sonogram that looks similar to this, my, um, my wife comes home from the doctor, you know, and um, we had been there and, you know, they took the heartbeat, you know, even, but even at this size, there's still a heartbeat. And the, and the baby was in there and they took all these pictures. And I remember I put the picture of my daughter in my, you know, um, right, right where the, the, the heating is in my car, you know, right where I could see it. I could see it all the time. And I, and I put it there and I remember I looked at it all the time. And I'd walk into coffee shops and I'd be like, boom, see that? That's my baby right there. Yeah, that's my baby. That's my second child. Yeah. And you know, for people that were having, that had kids, they were like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. For guys, guys especially that had no kids, they were like, oh, okay, okay. That's dope. She's, she's beautiful. She is so beautiful. And I, and I, that little, I mean, and you know, is this beautiful? It's like ghosty and all this, like bubbles. What is it? Whoo, but I was in love. And I went around and I told people, this is my baby, this is my baby, this is my second baby. I didn't know she would look like me. And my, my daughter, she loves to play the drums. I didn't know she was going to play the drums. I didn't know she was going to be witty. When she had done nothing right or wrong, I loved her. When she looked like this little ghostly figure, I loved her. Before I knew what she looked like, I loved her. And he says, God loved you before the foundation of the world. Before you could do right or wrong. Before your family, before your past, God loved you. I wonder if you'd stand with me. See, even in ministry, we get our identity from so many different things. We get it from crowds. We get it from preaching. We get it from degrees. We get it from applause. Now, I'm going to say something I am, and I want you to yell back at me. He loved you before that. Okay? You with me? I'm a pastor. But I can preach. You know, I got a beautiful family. You know, one day I'm going to get a PhD. I'm not the man I thought I was going to be. I've got some habits in my life. 
I've got some trauma I'm still dealing with. I showed up to church today. I didn't come to church today. Read my Bible today. I didn't feel like waking up today. They said I'm doing a great job on my job. I may get fired tomorrow. I'm making rent. I don't think I'm going to make rent. He loved you before that. He loved you before all that. He loved you before all the trauma. He loved you before the good you did. He loved you before the bad you did. Whatever you love when you go on the plane or when you sit on the train and they say, what do you do? And they say, who are you? And you say, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a singer, I'm a dancer. Whatever you see yourself as, he loved you before that. He loved you before that. He loved you before that. Come on up. Let's take some time to worship right now. Receive your adoption. Receive your adoption. Receive your adoption. Cry out, Abba, Father. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.